Hey y'all, welcome back to the Joy and Infertility podcast, or if this is your first time listening, we are so glad that you're here. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and this is a place where we can link arms together as we are finding joy, even in infertility. Welcome back, and officially, we are allowed to say Merry Christmas, y'all. I wonder, when do you guys decorate for Christmas? So a little insider information about me. I grew up in Florida, as many of you know, and we don't really get seasons there. So I decided a long time ago that I was going to make my own. So I decided fall would start on August 1st, which may seem early, but just so you know, Bath & Body Works releases their fall candles that day as well. So I'm not crazy. But because fall starts August 1st, That means Christmas starts November 1st for our family. That's when the Little Debbie Christmas trees get picked up at the store and the decorating begins. Well, even though Christmas is officially here now, the interview you are about to hear was recorded back in the summer, right when quarantines were starting to loosen up, but still very much in the thick of COVID. Today, I'm talking with Joanna Hackman, and y'all, I have been looking forward to this episode the second it took place, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. If Male Factor is part of your story, I want you to sit down and listen up. This one is gold. I have reflected on the wisdom she shared so many times. I've shared it with so many women. A lot of you are going to be like, oh yeah, Kaylee shared that with me months ago. Well, this is where it came from, straight from Joanna Hackman. She is just so full of wisdom and their story covers so much. But I'm thrilled to tell you, not only has some time passed since this conversation took place, literally right now, as I'm working on her episode, she sends me a message on Instagram and says, just wanted to let you know, things can change in the blink of an eye. We are now pregnant and they're pregnant naturally. The miracle of this news is going to become even more real to you as you hear her story. And I can't wait for you to do it. So let's get right to my conversation with Joanna. Hi, Joanna. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. All the way from California. Help us get to know you guys, you and your husband, a little bit better. Yes. So uh, my husband and I live in Los Angeles with our two adorable cats. Um, We just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. Congrats. It's a big milestone. Thank you. Um, It still just feels so crazy. I kept telling my husband, we've been married for a million years. And he kept saying, not yet. And then we hit, you know, 10 years. And I was like, okay, it's not really a million years. It still feels so I do feel like, I do feel like 10 years, at least in those younger years, like 10 years, you're old when you've been married 10 years. And then you hit 10 years and you're like, I'm not old. Like this is this is completely nothing. It's so, <laughs> so true. I think you learn like how much um, you you have learned, and then how much you still have to learn. Right. <laughs> and you haven't conquered anything yet. At exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but it's still just so fun, and we love to hang out together. Um, we work together. We both work at Universal as um, VIP studio guides, which is that's the coolest job to work. <laughs> Do you, so you guys don't get to be together? Um, sometimes we do. Sometimes we actually get to give tours together, which is oh, so really fun. fun. And what's really fun is we don't typically like tell guests ahead of time that we're married, but somehow they always end up figuring it out. So <laughs> you can really freak people out and yeah, cause some complaints like, with Universal. <laughs> they just they they're like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> so fun to work together, and you know we love. We love California and the sunshine and movies and um, 
And what we would really love is to have a baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is why you're on the podcast today. That's We're going to exactly talk about that. That's exactly right. <laughs> but at, so as we are recording this, it's a little earlier than when it's going to air, but we are smack dab in the middle of summer and you guys are currently being in LA, being, t- being working for Universal. You are not working because of COVID. Of course, Correct. everyone is, everyone's lives have been affected by that. Yes. But I just want to acknowledge that you know, hopefully when we air this, it would be great to say this is no longer a thing, but I think we all know that it will be a thing. (laughs) So it has affected Joanna and her husband greatly. That's true. That's true. So, okay. You guys don't have kids yet. So talk us through your journey of infertility and your diagnosis. So, um, we started trying to have a baby in 2016. Um, I was, sure it was going to happen right away, you know, because I had read and researched everything and had been doing natural family planning for forever and was just so sure it was going to work right away. And then when four months rolled by, I was like, something's wrong. But then, you know, you've got to wait the year till you have the the actual appointment where somebody diagnoses you with anything. And really that first appointment, all they diagnose you with is infertility, you know, the Mm -hmm. word that's just meant to cover all multitude of things. So um, it was the end of 2017 that we got our official diagnoses. um, And we found out that my husband has um, low motility and low morphology. So male Mm -hmm. factor was a a pretty big part of the diagnosis. Um, But the other thing that we found out was that I had low AMH. So my ovarian reserve was um, not exactly what you'd expect when you're 27. Okay. Um, So that's typically something that you would see in older women, right? Correct. Yeah. So when you're, you know, you're told that and you're kind of just being given a few numbers and you Google it and the first thing that comes up is early menopause um, and you're 27, like it definitely (laughs) feels, um, it feels bad. (laughs) So uh, we got the, those diagnoses and, and moved forward with treatment. Um, and the doctor that we were seeing initially, uh, our insurance covered about 50%, but only for IUI. So the doctor was like, well, let's, let's give it a shot. So we did uh, five IUIs. Um, none wow. of them worked. This was in early uh, 2018. And then after our fifth failed IUI, which we found out was negative on Father's Day that year. Oh, no. um, we just were kind of done for a little bit. Like we just needed, we needed a break and we knew that the next treatment that we'd pursue would be IVF. We just weren't quite sure how that was going to work because we no longer had any sort of insurance coverage for that. Um, and it just seemed so daunting and honestly kind of scary. Um, so we put that off for a good while. Um just kind of waiting and praying and trying to figure out if that's the next move that God had for us. And um, it was in early 2019 that, you know, I was just kind of praying over it and feeling like, you know, God, I'm like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know what this means financially. I don't know how we're going to make this work. And I remember standing um, in the middle of my church, which I miss <laughs> um, yes. in worship and the word covered just came over me and I just felt like God was telling me that we would be covered, like whatever, whatever the next thing was going to be that, that he had us. And 
So when that happened, we just kind of started pursuing options and everything just fell into place um, to do IVF. Um, my amazing friends put together a GoFundMe for us. Mm-hmm. And um, so in September of last year, our egg retrieval was fully funded um, by the people who love us so well. Um, and we, we went ahead and we did the retrieval and, um, it didn't work out the way that we thought that it was going to. Mm -hmm. So, um, all in all, uh, we had nine eggs collected. Mm -hmm. Um, four of them were mature enough to do the IVF procedure all four fertilized, which was amazing. Um, and then we kind of just kept getting the phone calls, you know, with more news and updates. And by the end, we were down to one embryo um, that had turned into a five-day blastocyst that they were going to um, have tested. And then we got the news um, that that embryo was abnormal that there weren't enough chromosomes for it to be a viable life. Um, And they told us it was a girl. (laughs) And that was like the best and worst thing about all of it, (laughs) Um, where it made it so real, but it made it so real and we couldn't have it. Um, so to go through all of that and we, you know, we really thought that all we needed was IVF. Like it took us so long to get there because that was going to be, you know, the last stop on the infertility tour. And we finally did it and everything seemed like it was working out so perfectly. And it was like, yes, God, like you're writing this crazy story and it doesn't even matter that it's just one. And then we ended up with none. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when did you say you got that news? That was um, October 7th was when we found that out. Okay. Yeah. So not too long ago. Not too long ago. But, you know, then times just kind of continued on. Um, I had some, I don't want to say like a difficult recovery from the retrieval, but it definitely was a much more physical process than I think I even expected it to be. Um, I ended up with, um, some cysts afterwards where I was encouraged to at least take a cycle off. We didn't know money wise, what was going to be the best choice. And then it was, (laughs) the option was to try again at the end of 2019 and, and be getting all of those phone calls while we were visiting family for Christmas. And I was like, I just can't do that. Um, so we decided to wait and just, you know, kind of keep keep praying and figuring out what our next step was going to be and thinking that maybe we would do that earlier this year. And then COVID uh, COVID happened. (laughs) So I can be thankful that we weren't in the middle of a cycle um, when COVID started. And I am just so deeply sorry for everybody who was, um, because I know that that caused a lot of extra stress um, Mm -hmm. and heartache. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that we weren't in that position, but it's definitely kind of just put everything on hold, you know? Yeah. So that's is that what you're seeing <laughs> a lot. 
Is that what you're seeing a lot in your group? You, she, uh, Joanna leads a Sarah's Laughter group in California. Are you seeing a lot of people put treatments on hold still or yeah, are some people um, still moving forward? Some people have still been moving forward once they were able to. Um, I know it was easier for people to do uh, like embryo transfers than it was for people to start fresh with like an egg retrieval cycle. Um, yeah. So it definitely it, it worked, um, for some people to, to kind of keep moving forward and, and for others, they just, they weren't in that position at this time. So, you know, it's kind of just been figuring it out and, you know, meeting on zoom and <laughs> all of those markers of, uh, of COVID. Yes. It's been, <laughs> yes. It's such yeah. an interesting, interesting time. Um, it is. Well, I want to back up because I get a lot of requests about male factor stories and just how husbands are handling it because it is a big part of our world. So what can you share a little bit on behalf of your husband of when he got that news? Because you guys both had issues. It wasn't yeah. just him or just you. Yeah. How did he, did he kind of take a lot of the brunt of that, of the, what I guess we feel responsible in our own ways for that. Did he, did he feel that responsibility at all? Or did you guys really just, we're one person, we're one, we're one human kind of thing. (laughs) Um, I mean, first I, I have to say that my husband is just amazing. Um, he truly is incredible. And, uh, before, before jumping on with you today, he, you know, we were, we were talking about it and he was like, you're going to be great. And he was like, you know, I know you always ask like, you know, is it okay if I talk about this thing? And he's like, but by now, like, please know, like you speak for me as well. And like, I, I am fully there for, for whatever you, you want to share, um, on my behalf. And yeah, so super, just super encouraging and supportive. Um, and, and that's kind of how it's gone for us. Um, I, I mentioned that like, I was very in tune to, like, it wasn't like we were casually trying. It was like, we had waited very specifically for this specific time to start trying. And, um, when it didn't take, um, the first few months and I was, you know, so sure that something was wrong, I was so sure that it was me. I was so sure that there was something wrong with me. Um, And I, even prior to getting an infertility diagnosis, uh, was just taking on all of this weight of shame and fear and um, this feeling of I was failing. And when we got the diagnosis and the way the doctor phrased it was that, you know, yes, I had a low AMH, but that wasn't what was stopping us from getting pregnant. It just meant we didn't have all the time in the world to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so she pretty heavily laid out the male factor infertility as being the reason why we weren't conceiving mm-hmm. on our own. And I just watched all of this guilt, all of this shame that I had placed on myself get transferred to my husband And I can't tell you how just like sad I felt that I had (laughs) put all of that on myself for so long and him watching me do that. And then it, it being something that he lifted off of me and put on himself Mm. when I just was like, no, that's not how I feel. You know, I don't, I, I don't blame him. I don't, 
feel like he is responsible. And so we kind of had to work through that together of me realizing, oh, even if it had been my diagnosis, I wasn't responsible either, you know? Yeah. Which that's such a double-edged sword because I was thinking the whole time, like, that's typically what we do when we think it's our fault. It's all our fault. It's all our fault. And then as soon as we find out it's our husband's, you know, there's a physical element to what he, what, what he's experienced, then it's like, Oh no, 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 no. It's not your fault at all. Like we're we're one person, but we can't give ourselves that same grace. But it also tells our husbands when they're watching that before we know a diagnosis that whoever's fault, quote unquote Uh, fault, this is, they have to own that, which is not true. Exactly. Um, so exactly. that, wow, that's powerful. That's yeah. true. So we, we unknowingly put blame on them as we put blame on ourselves before we know. Yeah. Yes. So that was definitely something to work through. Um, you know, and, and really when it comes down to it, like, like you said, we're, we're in this together. This is both of us, you know? Yes. So how did he, did he get help? Like, did he, does he have people that he reaches out to? That's one of the biggest questions they ask is like, how does, where does my husband go for resources? Cause he doesn't necessarily want to listen to this podcast because he's, he's a guy and we listen, we, we interview mostly women. So where did your husband go? You know, I wish that he had more places to go. Mm. I will say that. I will say that I wish that there was um, more support for men in this position. And, you know, a lot of the the women that I know who go through this have said things like, you know, they don't feel like their husband experiences it in the same way. And, and obviously there's a, a physical element that is on us, you know, even in treatment. And that's something that my husband struggles with a lot is that, you know, he feels like we're being we're doing infertility treatment because of his diagnosis, but I'm the one who has to go through all the physical parts of that. But it doesn't mean that it's, it's not weighing just as heavily on him. And I, I know that he has, he has friends that, you know, check in on him and that he talks with. Um, But honestly, I, I wish that there was uh, less of a, a stigma or a taboo, in terms of men getting help in the same way that we do, you know, my support group is like one of the best things to come out of this for me. And I wish that he had something for him too. So another thing that people ask a lot of is just the whole process of IVF, the emotion, you mentioned the cost. It's so daunting. Um, seems really impossible. Those first, that first few times you hear it, um, just the process and all of that. And I'm assuming like most women, you guys stepped into that, especially, oh my goodness, having your, having your retrieval paid for. I just feel like that's like, all right, this is for sure going to work. That's how we were with one of our IUI rounds. We're like, God provided, this is, this is a beautiful story. It's happening. Like we can put our faith, this is going to work. And then you probably had high hopes, but I mean, you guys didn't just get bad news. You got like, no news. It was not good at all. So, so how have you, I mean, like we said, that was by the time this airs, it'll be almost a year. So Hmm. how do you, how have you processed that since? Um, yeah, to unpack that a little bit, like, I think that the financial side of IVF can oftentimes be the thing that really stops people from pursuing this, you know? And, um, that's actually something that I, had been chatting with my amazing nurse at our awesome clinic. Um, we had been talking about that and she said something to me about, you know, I really hate that finances uh, get in the way of, of good people having babies. 
Oh, and, yeah. um, and I hate that too. You know, I hate that this isn't something that uh, is more uh, covered as far as insurance goes in our country. Um, I wish that there was more, more care taken in that. And I also just feel so incredibly blessed by the people in our life. Um, that crowdfunding, like, I can't even tell you what it was like to, you know, decide that we were going to go into debt to do this. <laughs> um, and then to have all of these people who have just kind of been a part of our journey step up and say, hey, we want to help with this because we want your dream to come true. Um, I have never felt so loved in my life. And I think the fact that God can use um, even the most like painful of circumstances to create such like a beautiful love story is so powerful. Um, and that mm -hmm. is why I think we really did believe that it was just going to be IVF. You know, IVF was going to be our sure thing. And um, with our our both of our diagnosis um, diagnoses. Uh, I will say that wrong forever. Know, just right? FYI, friends, because uh, it's even just annoying to say diagnoses. You um, sound so snobby when you say. I know. It. Uh, yeah, just listen to me talk about my AMH levels and you know, all of Hey, those. you sound smart. You sound Thank super you. smart. Thank you. We have to learn so much. Uh, yeah. It's just crazy. But with our with both of our diagnoses, IVF is also tricky because while that works best for male factor, it's not great for somebody who has a low ovarian reserve. You know, I don't generate as many eggs as somebody else my age would. Yeah. Um, so there's less, it's it's a numbers game, you know, there's less to, to choose from when it comes down to it. And I honestly, like, it seemed like the most amazing story, like you said about yours, you know, where we had these people who, who funded our egg retrieval, like literally 100% paid for. And, um when it came down to it and, you know, we had these, the four that were all being fertilized and growing and then it was down to one and it was scary that it was down to one, but I was like, nope, like this is just how it's going to be because like God does the craziest things. And, and I kept saying, I never, I never prayed for a specific number. Like I never asked for a number. And then I was like, wait, I did. I said to people that, all I wanted was for one of the eggs growing in my body to then become the embryo that would become the baby in our arms, just one. Mm -hmm. And we really thought that that was going to be it. And I could not have yeah. been more shocked when we got that phone call that it wasn't. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that like, you expect this to kind of be an ongoing thing, you know, to have, more to, to kind of do or whatever. And, and it just stops. Like you're on this like high speed train and then all of a sudden you're just thrown off of it. And Start what again. do you yeah. do? Go back to the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So those are the, the choices that we're left with, you know, is, is if we would like to try IVF again and, you know, go through, the the financial aspects of that go through the physical aspects of that um go through the the potential for that same disappointment um 
And that's just a question that has had us both wrestling with what God has for us, um, just because we really thought that 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 was the story he was writing. Um, and it was it was pretty shocking when it wasn't. So what would you say? Because, you know, I'd like to say, well, what's your advice for someone trying to consider whether they should pursue IVF, debt and all? But you guys are you're sitting in that place right now. You're trying to decide. So what I guess what advice are you giving yourself? What are you <laughs> that what is, is that the biggest processing that's good? What are y'all processing right now? Yeah, that is such a good question. Um honestly, uh I have I've gone back and forth so much on this. And you know, we can also think COVID for having so much time to sit and reflect (laughs) (laughs) um, and just, and ponder about things. And, um, you know, I had a a friend ask me when she was kind of checking in on me, you know, so how long are you going to do this? And at first I felt like kind of defensive. And then I was like, well, I understand what she's asking. You know, it's been almost four years. And then when I actually thought about it, I was like, if you actually think about if, if we need help to conceive, um, at least in the in the medical world, in the in scientific world, that we need help um, to conceive, that um, we've really tried like once, <laughs> you know, if the IUI is count, then you know six times, but six times in four years, like is not very many, and. Yeah. So I think I, I sit and think that like, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be done. Um, yes, there are other options that, you know, toss around in my mind a little bit. No, we haven't canceled out the thought of adoption. We just haven't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I've kind of just had to accept that, like, as much as I've wanted this wait to be over as soon as it started, that I'm, I'm in it. You know, I'm in this weight and God has done some really incredible things with it and that this time isn't wasted and that I don't have to rush to the next decision um, until until we're ready for it. Uh, so some of the things that we've definitely thought about are are the financial aspects. You know, we're talking about like okay, what are other insurance options? Are there, are there other ways to do this? Um, should we be taking more time to, to set money aside? Should we just take on that extra debt? Um, or should we just put it away for right now? Um, and kind of the, the last place that we, that we landed was that at the moment it feels right to, to just continue to pause um, because I feel like throwing just a little bit more money at it isn't going to help us in, in this moment. I want to feel empowered if we go back. I want to be able to do like a couple of cycles. Like I don't want it just to Hail Mary, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think we've kind of felt like if we were to do that right now and just kind of throw money at one more cycle just to see what happens, I think we would feel really scared, um, with, with what happened last time and with still being in the middle of, of this time of uncertainty. So, um, I think I've, I've worried a little bit about, you know, like, God, what do you have for me? Like, how do I make sure that I stay in your will for my life and what you have for us? Um, 
And right now I'm, I am just feeling some peace about just continuing to be still for right now. Yeah. My friend always asks me that she, whenever I'm struggling with a decision, she's like, well, what, what brings you peace? What, with, mm-hmm. when you take that step, like what, what, what's just settles that peace in your heart. Yeah. And I feel like that's a hard question sometimes with infertility. Cause you think about taking a step into the unknowns of IVF. There's not a lot of peace that comes with that. You Ugh, take a yeah. step, you know, into a waiting season and say, I'm going to pause. There's not a lot of peace with that sometimes, but I think there is, it's just a different type of peace. Like, yeah. I, don't know how to, I mean, everyone listening, I'm like, I don't know how to explain it to you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone listening knows. <laughs> yes. yes. But it's, it's, I hate to say anxious peace, but it's not, it's not the still peace that, that we think of. Like, we're just going to be still. Sometimes, no. sometimes it, there's a lot of work involved and a lot of like decisions involved, but there's still, you just know peace, like, you know, I took this step because this is what brought the most peace in moving forward or sitting still. Yes. Um, I think I've also really had to come to terms with that, like, if, if I am trusting that, you know, God has this for us, it, it doesn't matter what I do. Um, obviously, you know, certain choices, you know, they, they do matter in the, in the scheme of things, but if God has this for us, um, I believe that he'll make a way. Uh, and I think, so often I, I think of my decisions as if I do this thing and I tick off this box, then I'll get the reward, you know, and mm-hmm. like I have to, I have to jump through all of these hoops and I make all the correct decisions and then I'll finally get the prize. And I don't think that it works that way. You know, like we could move forward with any number of decisions and we could end up with a baby or we could not. Um, yeah. And I, I think the piece definitely just comes from from trusting that God has us and and that whatever he has for us is going to be good. Yeah. And he gets, you know, it doesn't the Bible doesn't say he gives us a spotlight into the future. He gives us a lamp unto our feet mm-hmm. and a lamp only shows us what's right in front of us. Oh, so sometimes so it's taking that one step yeah. and you know, just like at the end of you guys' round and the end of our IUI rounds and the end of all the years of waiting, just because there isn't a baby in our arms doesn't mean that God didn't do something Absolutely. in our hearts and in our lives. And that's why we always say at the end, you know, there will be beauty born from this journey, whether that's a baby or whether that's something really incredible in your heart or in your life or in your in your passion, in your passion. So speaking of that, though, you mentioned something to me when we were talking about this interview that your relationship with Jesus has become so personal actually through infertility because in your darkest moments, he was the only place you could turn to because no one else had the right things to say. Mm -hmm. And that stuck out because so many times we are all desperately searching for that exact story that matches ours. That's why I get so many requests. I would like to know, I would like to hear a story from this, this situation with this exact complication <laughs> with this diagnosis. And like, it's all of the, I want the, I want to hear the exact story yes. because we're looking for that, that message of encouragement that speaks specifically to our infertility. And then when it gets passed over, we feel like ugh, we're even more alone. So that statement really jumped out to me because we don't, you know, no one else had their right things to say. So can you share a little bit about what that, how that's translated into your relationship with Jesus? Yeah. Um, I definitely think that, um, you know, it, it so helps to hear somebody else say me too. You know, it so helps when you can have those conversations and somebody else is able to step in and, and say that they understand and you know that they do. 
but sometimes that just isn't a possibility. And, and I think sometimes we really rely on people to fill this gap within us that, that they just can't, you know, we have these expectations and when they're unmet, we're just left feeling more alone. And like you said, more passed over than before. And, um, during all of this, there was a a really specific time when I was feeling so anxious and so alone and so not seen, um, by people around me. And, you know, it wasn't that I was shouting from the rooftops about what was happening and nobody was, you know, coming to my aid or anything like that, but it just felt like nobody quite knew exactly what to say. And I think so often the people in our lives, like they, they want to fix it, right? They want to make it better. And sometimes the, the fix it answers just make that loneliness worse because we're looking for, you know, just validation or, or love of some kind. And, and there's this really specific day where I was honestly like pacing my apartment. My husband was at work and I, like I needed to talk to somebody desperately. And I kept thinking through like who I could call. And, you know, my go-tos are usually my mom and my husband and both of them were busy. I started thinking through some of my other friends. And then I was just like, if I call anybody, like I'm going to have to, to stop and explain everything. You know, I'm going to have to like tell them exactly what's going on and try to make them understand. And it just sort of dawned on me that the one person that I don't have to explain any of this to is God. He has been here through every bit of it. He has seen me crying on the floor. He has seen me raging at test results. He's seen all of the ugly pieces of this. And he didn't ask me to do it by myself. He wants to be here with me. And if I just allowed that, I think it, it would open up just such, I think it would open up a space um, that I hadn't experienced before. And that's exactly what happened where in this loneliness, I just found myself, you know, (laughs) ripping open my Bible and just like seeking solace in God's truth and looking for him and just feeling that piece that we were talking about that like, that isn't the anxious piece that is the real like deep, Mm -hmm. powerful piece of Jesus and turning my loneliness over to him and allowing him to turn it into this sacred place has just changed this journey for me. And I'm not saying that it's always easy and I'm not saying that it's always the first choice that I make because sometimes I hit some walls first But whenever I'm able to turn that loneliness over to God and I'm able to include him in the story, um, that piece is a part of it. Okay. So, well, I always ask my guests what's on their heart to share. And you mentioned two things and they were just so good. So I actually want you to share both of those. And you may have kind of already talked about processing that kind of God's will with IVF. But if you want to share more about that, but but yeah, just go ahead and share what's on your heart. So I think... um, I think it's very easy in this process of waiting to just feel stuck, right? To just feel like we're just waiting around for answers and that life is passing us by and our friends are passing us by and that random coworker is passing us by. Um, 
but I know that that God does have a purpose in in our pain. I know that he can use all of it. I know that none of it's wasted. Um, and I've definitely been doing some, some kind of soul searching on figuring out God's voice and, and discerning, you know, what he has for me. And I think sometimes I put too much on myself in terms of making the right choices and, and wanting to make sure that, that it's that next step, like we talked about earlier. But I think that God really does kind of pave the way in those things and that I'm, I sometimes am maybe counting on myself too much and not giving yourself a whole lot of power that you probably don't really have to yes, like, ma'am. <laughs> step outside of God's will somehow, his incredible, yes, powerful, ma'am. massive will that he has. Yeah, I've done that yes, too. <laughs> that's exactly right. And um, one of my favorite verses is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I think when I actually allow him to use my weakness and I can kind of just give up that power, um, I do feel stronger because I know that I can do all things with him. Um, and it's still a learning curve, you know, every day it's always trying to figure out what the, the next right thing might be. But I think when I can hand over some of that power, um, Mm -hmm. it definitely brings that peace. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think while you were talking, I was thinking about the story of Jonah and, you know, God's will for Jonah was to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them about the grace of God and his saving power. But what did he do? He, did not <laughs> no, obey God, not. jumped out of boat, got caught in a storm, got swallowed by a whale. I mean, all the things, but do you like, we don't listen to that story and be like, Oh man, he was like smack dab out of God's will. Like he, he just, he was out of God's reach. He just, he stepped off mm-hmm. the path and God just couldn't even reach him. No, yeah. God sent a whale to swallow him and then told the whale to spit him back up when it was the right time, whenever Jonah was ready to listen. Mm-hmm. So when we're in our infertility journeys, yes, talk to God, ask God for direction, pray for that next step, listen to his voice, but don't live in fear of like, oh my gosh, what if I step outside of his will? Then I'm in like no man's land where he can't reach me. No, Romans 8, 28 says he will use all things for the glory of himself. So he will take that step where you may like, oh, this round didn't work. Does that mean I was out of God's will? Nope. It means that God used that to do something in your heart. You may not realize it yet, but you will, and it will make sense in the scheme of eternity. We just have to have that perspective when that happens. And I think we just, like you said, we give ourselves way too much credit and power that we can somehow usurp the power and the will of our Father, which we can't. No. Well said. Yes, that's exactly it. Sorry to interrupt. You can continue. No, no, was no. Just, I was like Jonah, man. <laughs> yes. No, I think that's so true. I think it's like the, I heard somebody say like God's voice is like uh, the GPS, right? Like you make a wrong turn and it's like rerouting, you yeah. know, we'll get you back on the right track. We're not lost. We're just rerouting. No, no. we'll just take the scenic route. Who knows? <laughs> um, and the other thing that we were talking about was, um, 
this kind of discovery that I made for myself recently as I've still been processing infertility and and all the feelings that go with it um, in this sort of grief merry-go-round is that motherhood is not a goal. And I don't say that in like an inflammatory sort of way. It's not like, you know, trying to to call out moms by any means. Um, but it's 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 not that. It's motherhood is not a goal because motherhood is a desire. Mm-hmm. And the big difference is that goals are things that we can we can achieve. We can make a an action plan. We can commit to them, and we have control over it. And a desire is something that we want, that we hope for, but that we don't really have control over. And I have spent <laughs> the better part of, of three years um, feeling like I was failing at reaching my goal. And um, I don't know if you're a, an Enneagram person, but I am an Enneagram 3. So um, is my husband. Yeah. <laughs> when you said achiever, I was like, oh, girl, I know who you are. Yes, you do. <laughs> so my little achiever heart, um, you know, just so desperate to to make this happen, to to do all the things, to to set it all up and and to win, you know, to to achieve this goal. And finally having this piece of realizing that having a baby, it, it can't be a goal because I'm not in control. You know, the people who say that IVF is playing God, like, I just want to laugh in their faces because, you know, there is no control in that. Like, you can do as much as you can, but really when it comes down to it, like, it's still up to God to... He still has a part to play in that. He still is involved in making life. Absolutely. 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 So I think, you know doing all the things that I can control and and doing my best is fine. But taking on this weight of I am failing, I am broken, I am not good enough. Um, none of that's real. None of that is true. Those are all lies. Um, and those are not things that are from God. And I think being able to realize that you know, this is, yes, it's a desire that I have. It's a desire that I want. And it's one that I hope that God gives me. But I also know that God loves to give good gifts. And that if a child is not a gift that he has for me, I know that he has other gifts for me. And if I can kind of relax and and trust that, you know, easier said than done, right? Um, but if I can let go of, of my my chokehold on um, control and let him have his way, um, I'm so much better for it. I also feel like when I think of a goal, it just feels like this like one and done thing. Like once it's achieved, the job is done and you move on. And that's not really what I feel like you, you, you've set yourself up for a lot of disappointment if you if if you frame it up like that. Well, once I get pregnant and once I have that baby in my arms, check. And what happens on the other side of that, that's when a lot of people that have walked through infertility, and Kathy Quillett talked about this last semester in one of the last episodes, and I experienced it myself, a lot of people feel with, deal with a lot of disappointment and a lot of emptiness after that because, okay, I made it, now what? But I, you know, there's just still a lot to that. Um, I just think you have to put, 
you have to put that desire in the right place in your life. And even though it's, yeah. gosh, it's overwhelming, it's, it's an overwhelming desire and God, God gave that desire to us. Um, we just have to make sure that he is our ultimate goal. Yeah. He is our ultimate desire. So that, that was really good. That was really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Well, Joanna, I'm so glad that we connected and that we were able to make it work. Thank you so much for having me. Even though Joanna and I talked a lot about male factor, I really hope you will hear this for yourself too. If it's your body that has the quote unquote issues, it's your diagnosis. If your husband's sperm count and motility and morphality and all of that is prime and it's all on you, I want you to know it's not all on you. We live in a fallen world where sin causes decay. We are literally born into this world with decaying, broken bodies. Please don't own any sort of blame in this journey. God wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that for anyone else in your life. I was just talking to a friend of mine this week about a potentially hereditary diagnosis. She was worried she was passing on to her kids. I get it. It's natural for us to feel that way. But the question we talked about, my friend and I, would you want your kids to own that responsibility as well? Passing off this condition to their kids, knowing what she knew at this moment, that they did nothing to get this themselves, and the same applies to her. She was born with this. It's not her fault. It's the fault of sin in our world. And one day, all that brokenness will be made perfect, just how God intended us to be with Him in eternity. So please do not allow this already super hard journey to cast more guilt and more shame on you. Lay it at Jesus's feet and take the next step he's leading you to take hand in hand with your spouse. And Joanna, we are celebrating that miracle with you and your husband. And I'm so grateful you decided to share your story with us way back in the summer. I know the wisdom that you shared is going to free so many people and help so many relationships. And how cool is it that one day you will be able to share this episode with your sweet, sweet miracle. I'm so excited for that day. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joy and Infertility podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Whatever you're facing this week, remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and He is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.